for this episode for two reasons. The first reason is this is our 15th episode. So we've done this (laughs) for the past, I guess, it's been like 30 weeks now. Um, And the second reason I'm excited for this episode is because we have a very amazing, brilliant guest that I cannot wait to introduce. But first of all, I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. Hey guys, this is Amayo. Hello guys, this is Ife. Hey guys, this is Onyeka, a.k.a. Yeka O. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. And on today's episode, I am very excited to introduce Ainehi Edoro, who is the founder of Bristle Paper, which is an online literary platform that is just doing amazing work highlighting African writing and literature and all things related to African literature, um, news and stories and features and Aina, he is also, which is exciting, she is an associate professor of English at Ooh. the Marquette University. So we're so happy you could join us today, Aina. He. Thank you very much for having me. It's actually assistant professor. Oh, assistant Not professor. Associate. Okay. I'll get there one day. I've been working on that tenure, huh? The struggles. <laughs> we're speaking into your future, reclaiming it. Amen. Um, yeah, so I'm so happy you could join us. And on today's episode, I was hoping we could start off by just asking you a few questions so that um, our listeners as well as ourselves can get to know you more and also learn more about um, learn more about Brittle Paper and just the amazing work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'll start off this mini segment by asking you what exactly the origin story is behind Brittle Paper and what exactly motivated you to start Brittle Paper. Um, Thank you very much for having me. Um, I should probably just use the opportunity to say how I love the work that you're doing, um, that all of you are doing. Um, I am very impressed. And um, I really cannot just wait to see you guys grow and become something really phenomenal. Um, Amen. So, <laughs> Brittle Paper is um, is is a project I started in two thousand and ten, mm-hmm. and so a year before in two thousand and nine, I began my doctorate at Duke University. I have to say that it was the most bewildering years of my life. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. bombarded with beautiful but very complex texts and ideas about philosophy, literature, cultural theory, political theory. And to be honest, I felt claustrophobic. And I kind of needed this space where I could clear my head, I could breathe and think freely, and also play with ideas away from the classroom. And that's how Brittle Paper was born. Um, If you're familiar with Brittle Paper, early on, you'll see that it was simply a general interest philosophy slash literature blog. It's this space where I would write everything that ranged from um, 
Friedrich Nietzsche to contemporary British novels. It was mm -hmm. until it was in 2012 that I decided that I wanted it to become a space for African literature, mm -hmm. and that itself has mm -hmm. been an amazing journey. Mm. Oh, wow. And so I can only imagine that since you started Brutal Paper in 2010, that, of course, like your, the, your blog and your platform has grown immensely and has become more popular, I'm assuming. And so you probably receive a lot of submissions for your website. And I was wondering how you select which stories are published and how you're growing your team and spreading, I guess, the impact and influence of Brutal Paper. Yeah, um, I, um, I think that accepting submission was a very um, key move I made and one that I don't regret at all. Um, at some mm. point, I just had people sending me stuff and I didn't know what to do with it. And I realized that, well, maybe I don't have to just make Brittle Paper into this personal space where I express my own thoughts. Maybe I can, you know, mm. um, give it a community feel and make it into this space where writers can come and engage with readers and i just started mm. accepting submissions over the years you're right my submissions have increased right now i get an average of 100 submissions per month wow, wow. and i oh i read every single submission and this is one thing that makes what I do at Brittle Paper different. I read every single submission and I respond to every single one. Many wow. people do you have know, an assistant? I, <laughs> I don't have an editorial assistant. It, reading people's work is something I honestly really love. It's hard work, but mm. I love mm. it. And I like that, um, awesome. that editorial control. I, I, I just feel like it's something that I may have to um, give up eventually but that would be hard mm -hmm. for me to give up i read mm. everybody's submission and i respond to every single one because i feel like mm. if you took the time to produce work and you sent mm. it to me mm -hmm. you have a right to hear from you yeah oh, that's so nice for many like, yeah that, yeah, that yeah personal touch absolutely because many people you know as in you you get so many submissions and i think that many sites just simply don't get back to you if they don't mm -hmm. um, yeah. accept your work. And, you know, I think that there's something a little not nice about that. Um, for yeah. me, in terms of the work I accept, to be honest, I place a very high value on entertainment factor. Mm. I like stories that people are going to enjoy. That is the number one thing I think about. When I read a story, I have to enjoy it period. And the reason I, I think that way is because in, in African literature, entertainment has not really been this thing that people, that we value, right? It's more important for a text to have a certain type of highbrow intellectual investment mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. text to matter, right? right? The right. way I see it, if a, if a text is fun and cool, and connects with a reader emotionally, it's going to be good. Right. A badly written story cannot connect with a reader in any meaningful way. 
Right. That's so as yeah. far as I I enjoy it, it tells me that okay, the writer is doing something fundamentally right. And mm-hmm. then I begin to, you know, say, okay, is this right for the blog? And so on, so on, so on. Mm. But the idea is to produce stories that people would actually love and that they would return mm-hmm. to and that they will find meaningful and that they will connect to in a deeply emotional way. Yeah. Wow. I, I have a question. This is Ife. Have you noticed any trends in the kinds of, of works that you've published? So are there more women, women writers submitting stories? Are they more men? What are the common themes that you've seen, if there are any? I think um, what stands out to me is how young these writers are that mm-hmm. submit to Brittle Paper and how many of them are within universities in various African cities. That's it. awesome. Yeah, it's literally, I get a lot of submission from college students who are between the age of 18 and 25. Last year, one of the most read story on Brittle Paper was an erotica by a Lesotho student. Oh, he nice. was about 18 years old or 19. <laughs> I mean, people loved that, this that's story. That's kind of scary. <laughs> you know, people loved this story. And mm. I suppose what it, it tells me is that there's so many people writing yeah. in African communities. Just so mm. ma- so much writing happening. And people mm. are hungry for places to share their work. And many of these writers are, at least, I mean, I'm in my 30s. I can call them kids. Like, <laughs> they are really young. And they are writing, and they are writing beautiful things. But these are people that, that ordinarily, they would never have access to the official publishing channels. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so places like Brittle Paper becomes a site where a 19-year-old kid can write this beautiful quirky story and find a space to share it with readers that care Mm -hmm. that's huge you know and um and that's why for me the ways that digital technology is 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 changing publishing culture in africa and globally can only mean something good Hmm. i love that I love that. I have a question for you as well. But I know you said um, that you respond to every single um, author that sends you um, his or her work. Is it ever awkward responding to the people who you have chosen to not publish their work? And how do you get around that situation? Like rejection letters? Yes, rejections. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the number one rule for me is to be courteous. Because, I mean, I'm sorry, writing is hard. Mm-hmm. To write a story is hard. And no matter how bad a story is, it took time and effort to do it. That's one thing. And, and somehow for me, I need to speak in a way that recognizes that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I feel honored when somebody sends me their work, places their work in my trust and say, look, I would like you to evaluate my work and if possible, share it with your readers. 
that's a beautiful thing and i feel very honored and humbled by that and i have to make sure that that is reflected in how i respond to the person and thirdly when you're a writer it's it's a long and arduous process of growth this person may be writing a bad story now but only if they kept writing in a year time, two years time, they could become an amazing writer. And I would mm, hate true. to be the person that discourages them. Yeah. So those three things inform the rejection letters I write. You know, I want to write in a way that I make this person realize that, look, you have to keep writing. Yeah. Okay, Thank you for good. sending this work. I enjoyed reading it, but it's not a good match for this site but please keep writing mm -hmm. and in the future i look forward to seeing more of your submissions you know and That's i've had great. people who send me replies and say look thank you for your response mm -hmm. uh yeka oh over here and um you know just listening to you talk I remember a lot of um, my undergrad days where there were people who would just get these notebooks and write tons and tons of stories and we would all pass them across, you know, the corridor for people who are interested in reading. And I was wondering, um, what would you say to a 15 year old, you know, who's sitting in a classroom and has a notebook and is just writing stories for all their friends to read? Keep writing. That's wonderful. Just keep writing. The only way to write is to write hmm. okay and if you are that young kid and you have an audience you have a small community of readers maybe it's your classroom is your dorm room uh, um friends it's like keep writing for them and value that because there is so much learning that comes from engaging with an audience no matter who they are I remember the first, oh my God, horrible poetry I used to write when I was, um, <laughs> I was 16. I remember this play I wrote. God, it was, it, when I think about it now, it's atrocious. But you know what? My, <laughs> no, it's true. My brothers will read it and they will be so encouraging. And I'm sure in their mind, they're like, oh God, this, 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 this play is very serious. <laughs> you know? But they were very encouraging and i think that it was key that i had an audience like that and it's just the fact that you have somebody who you write for no matter who they are is important if those people are not in your immediate environment go out and seek them out mm. you know mm. just write and get your work out there keep writing you know and mm. you will definitely get to that point where you want to you know um share your work with a much um, bigger um, community of readers. Mm. I just have, this is a thing one, I have just two questions left to ask before we transition into the, our conversation about African literature. And the two questions are, A, what are some challenges that you face, you know, running Brito Paper? And it sounds like you're doing this on your own. And you talked about reading every single submission. And the first thing that came to my mind is how do you even make the time <laughs> to go through all the submissions and run the sites? And you're also an assistant professor. Like, how do you, yeah, I just, what some challenges that you face running Wordle Paper? 
So you're right. Um, your suggestion that you know it's kind of um, a single man show is probably one of the biggest challenges I have. Is that for um, about five plus years now, I've run the blog, the editorial mm. aspect of the blog by myself, right? Mm. Yeah. And it's it's very time consuming, and mm -hmm. it's it's tough but i think the key for me is is putting in whatever time i have away from all those other things i do into mm -hmm. Brittle paper mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the reason i can do it is because of the commitment i have to the project i don't care what's going on in my life i have to blog mm -hmm. <laughs> i have to write on Brittle mm -hmm. paper it doesn't even like i i, don't, I can't even imagine what would make me not produce okay. work in that space and so because yeah. of that i have to find time um when i just had my baby i would wake up at 4 a.m to blog wow wow that's to write my dissertation so that i can have time to take care of her when the nanny is not around wow in a sense mm. that it's really a case of doing what's needed to be done to make mm. sure that I carve out that time. Right? Yeah. Because I could easily say that, look, the time is not there and I will be right. There is no yeah. time. But, you know, um, it's something that I really love and it's something that mm. I think is significant. But, of mm. course, the problem with that is that um, if anything happened to me, then the project becomes at risk. It's the classic mm -hmm. key man um, problem, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's why yeah. building up a team is absolutely important. And about a month ago, I was joined by a writer, mm -hmm. Tiwalade. She's amazing. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we've sort of been doing it um, together since then. I would ideally yeah. like to have a bigger team of writers and bloggers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but all of that costs money. Expanding mm -hmm. costs yeah. money. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. money, money, money. That's the big thing <laughs> for me right now. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I'm working really hard to see how I can begin to generate income that can actually sustain and build the blog and make mm -hmm. it bigger. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. And I guess that kind of answers my last question, which is what is your long-term vision for this platform? But if you want to add anything yeah, else, Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it's, a, it's an attempt to find a space for African literature as a global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that means all sorts of different things. Oh, and yeah. so for me, I'm, I'm always thinking of ways that Brittle paper can help us rethink what African literature is as a global thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that might mean that, you know, tomorrow I could expand into publishing. It could mean that, you know, um, that, that um, I can create a mentorship, a literary mentorship aspect of the blog, right? So I have submissions from all these young aspiring um writers it would be amazing to have a program where i am able to help 
to mentor them in the publishing aspect mm-hmm. of writing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kind of a, the publishing version of the amazing work that uh, DJ is doing with um, the Farafina workshop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I mean, but the, the question of anything that is attempting to engage with African literature in its contemporary form is it's something that that has to be dynamic and mm-hmm. green all the time. And that's so for yeah. me, brittle paper has um, has a very bright future and mm-hmm. one that I'm really, really, really excited about. Wow. That's really exciting. We're all excited. We're all excited. This is Ife. I have so much admiration for people who write because I know it's, there's a lot involved. You have to be creative. You have to be technical. Um, what, what do you think makes a good writer? What are the things you look for that makes a good writer in terms of the technicality and, and what, what how would you advise somebody to get better at their craft what should they what what writing books should they read or because i'm a very technical person i have a very analytical mind and i want to know okay you know this is how many i know there's no set formula for good writing but just some guidelines in that regard mm-hmm. um, i think generally the difference between a good story and a not so good story is that with a good story in a very cliche type of way the writer stays true to themselves and i'm going to explain what that how i'm using that cliche um so sometimes i get submissions from people who when they write they write in a language that is very old and worn out. Hmm. Okay? Let me give you an example. So let's say somebody says, you know, a poet is describing a woman's body. And the poet said, you know, she was beautiful like a gazelle. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Right? That person is has clearly read a lot of a certain type of poetry, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Song of Solomon. Right, where <laughs> they describe women as gazelle. But if you asked this person, what is the connection between gazelle and beauty mm. and a mm-hmm. woman's body? They won't be able to tell you. Right, right. You because they don't see how they are just simply reproducing a worn-out metaphor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or, for example, I will read, you know, I will get stories where, do you know how many times I have heard writers describe a woman's body as caramel? Oh, God. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I know you've read a lot of things. You've watched a lot of movies where somehow caramel is some type of color that stands in for a beautiful skin. Mm. But it's also empty. Yeah right mm-hmm. as opposed to a writer that kind of pushes away all the this 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 collection of old metaphors and things that we just hold on to when we um we don't know how to describe things mm-hmm. they push all of that aside and they actually organically generate their own ideas about what beauty is you know 
what love is and so on that for me is mm. originality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's someone saying look i would think i would look at my own experience my own world what i know and organically produce a language to narrate this story to tell this story to say this thing mm. right that is originality and it's 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 it, it, it's yeah. unfortunately not something that you can always teach somebody mm-hmm. it's something that that um that you can sort of 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 situate people in a a place where they can think in that way mm-hmm. but it it's not it's not necessarily something that you can find in a textbook mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. It's very, very good advice. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's one of the reasons why Chimamanda is one of my favorite writers because she is so descriptive and her descriptions are all hers, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. She describes um, yeah. something and like it hits you, right? Yeah. You're like, oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. I, I, I never, like, like that's just perfect. That makes sense. But it's mm-hmm. new and it's fresh, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not as if she's, you know, describing like, and it's it's not as if it's this thing where you read a description and it just feels familiar. Like somebody is describing, oh, the rain was falling and the cloud was dark, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that is a textbook definition, literally, mm. <laughs> of what happens when it rains and you can just tell that this person is going through the motion mm. you know mm. and not really digging deep to say look this idea i want to articulate this vibe i want my reader to feel mm-hmm. this scenery this color i want them to see how best can i articulate that what language can i dig deep into to make them see this thing i want mm. them to see you know and stuff like that i know i said that you know it's not something you can learn but i think that is something that can come from practice Mm -hmm. yeah you know from practice from honesty from just really wanting to be true to yourself and the story yeah wow wow just to keep the conversation flowing i was wondering if we could each just talk about what african literature means to us and why African literature is important. I would actually um, like to hear what you guys think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually hoping you would go last. <laughs> As for expert no, and all no, things. No, it's, not, it's, not even that. it's just that I am, no. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, like yeah. how you guys um, imagine what African literature is and how you connect hmm. it individually. Yeah. This is Ife. African literature for me has been very impactful in me learning African history mm. and learning about my continent and my people. Because, for example, in Nigeria, there are a lot of things that we didn't learn. We didn't learn about the Nigerian Civil War in, in history class, you know, and that was such a big part of our history. And we didn't, I knew almost nothing about evil culture until I read Things Fall Apart. So African literature for me has been how I just learned about my world and my life and my people. And and that's why it's so important to me. 
this is Amayo. African literature is still kind of new to me. I mean, I read a few books in secondary school, but it hasn't been like well till recently or like after uni and after uni I started reading a few more African literature like books and then poems and whatnot. Um, but similar to what you first said, it's just I, I find it really interesting when I can read a book and I can completely relate to the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, like when I read books, I try to completely delve into the scene and you know, I'm imagining how things like how things are described and I'm fully into the books. So for me to read a book and for there to be characters that I could say, Okay, this is my neighbor, like this is somebody that I've met before, like this person seems very, very familiar. And I went to school with this kind of person. Like, you know, it's just it's it's just that that much more meaningful um mm. to me. And it just makes it even more interesting and makes me even want to, you know, keep reading and read more of that genre and just keep reading more works from African authors. So I mean African literature, yeah. I mean other than learning about my country and being ex- exposed to things I didn't learn in school, things I weren't taught in school, like if I said the, you know, the whole Biafra, um, civil war, and all that. It's just more relatable stories. Yeka O over here, and just like Amaya, a lot of my um, initial introduction to African literature was definitely in high school. Um, because I took literature from SS1 to SS3. And, you know, in that time, it was just, you know, you were reading this, the teacher gives you the interpretation of what they think the author was saying, and you're doing it just for an A. Um, and as I've grown, for me, African literature is some form of validation of my life experiences, um, if that makes any sense. It's kind hmm. of like, um, I remember a particular story reading as a kid. I can't remember uh, the title, but it was about spring cleaning. And um, I remember, and I was like, why is it called spring cleaning? I mean, as a Nigerian, like, what is spring though, you know? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And just like not being able to necessarily relate, but it's like, oh, that's a different culture from mine. But then when I read African poems and African stories, I'm just like, that validates my life experience. You know, that's something that I could totally like yeah that's me that that's so me I can see myself here I can relate so um I think for me African literature is a way to validate my life experiences and in the same way learn about um other people's stories and see what life is like through their eyes um without it being some kind of imposed culture if that makes sense I don't know yeah wow um, this is Ifeima, and even though I thought of the question, <laughs> I was like struggling to answer it. <laughs> um, but I think the reason why I, this question is hard is because African literature encompasses mm-hmm. so much. Like encompass, like the word African itself is like okay, it's not just Nigerian literature. It's bigger it's bigger than Mm -hmm. one country it's a whole continent and it's not just people on that continent but people who are who are born there raised there have roots there but possibly leave live Mm -hmm. elsewhere um and so i think for me i think african literature is writing that is done by someone who is african or in some way related to the continent of africa um and writes about either the way of life in on that continent or elsewhere 
And for me, why it's... And this is the thing. Growing up, I was such... Like, I read, like, it was my source of nutrition. <laughs> like, the way I read... Like, I, this is not even... I would go to somebody's house and literally they would hide their books. I was that person that if I came to your house, you would hide your books. Because if I walked in and my eyes just made contact with it, like, that was it. I'm taking it home. So I read a lot. But, like, looking back, I read a lot of American novels... Mm. I read a lot of British novels and it mm. lightened. I read yes, everything. Girl. Secret Seven read everything. <laughs> Babysitter's Club read everything. <laughs> so, like, a lot of, like, this novels that I read were, like, they were stories that were situated by people, like, I didn't even know. Their way of life, I didn't know, except through, like, reading the books. And so, eventually, when I started reading African literature, it was so amazing to just read the different way the writing was written it was like they would write about they're not being power supply and it's like oh that's i know about <laughs> like you know things little things like that that i was like i some of which i had you know experienced mm-hmm. personally um and i think over the years african literature has become more important to me because it's like yes we mm. exist we have something yeah. to say <laughs> we have stories to share that they might not be popular. Like, I don't know. I think growing up, I felt like there were certain stories that were higher than other Mm -hmm. stories. And for me, I guess, in some way, like the Annie Blytons and the Secret Seven and those type of books were fun. They were popular. You know, Harry Potter, those were popular books. And other types, I don't know, there's some other books that weren't as popular. And so um, the older I've gotten, the more I have just faced... I place more value in African um, literature because it's just, it means that we have stories to tell. Mm-hmm. We are, really our imagination is important, you know, representation is important and we have, we have something to say. We have a lot of things to say. But Aina here, I don't know if there's something you want to add. <laughs> I'm really. sure you have a lot it's to actually add. actually really cool listening to um, you all think about what African literature means to you. And I'm actually quite struck by the fact that it's very different for each of you. I like the idea that, you know, look, African literature is this thing that um, helps me grasp my history or my culture, you know, or the African literature is this thing that helps me, it's this place where I can recognize myself, right? This, This mirror that reflects my world and makes it's recognizable mm-hmm. and intelligible, mm-hmm. right? So you read stories of people with blue mm-hmm. eyes and blonde hair mm-hmm. and spring for so long. And then, you know, you begin to read stories about mm-hmm. Harmattan and things that actually um, constitute your world. And it's a totally different yeah. experience. But then also, I mean, um, so to hear um, Ifeinwa focus on, on, on the idea that, look, African literature is a uniquely African imaginative expression. And for that, it is valid and it is valuable. I mean, these are just, these are very beautiful ways to situate yourself in relation to African literature. Um, I see the only thing I would add for me is that um, African literature is this Hmm. thing that I really enjoy. Is this thing that... um, it's, it's, it's a, a vast body of texts, of forms of storytelling, of ideas and images that, that I 
have come to love a lot. Um, and that I think in, in a very basic way is very mm. lovable. Um, and that African literature is important for, I would say, two reasons. One, because it's an archive of our mm. world. Right. An archive of different ways in which we've imagined mm. our world. Right. And it's important for us to have access to mm. that. And it, it's important for the different ways in which we tell stories of our world to be able to circulate globally. It's important that we can share this life or our attempt to tell stories about our world mm -hmm. with people in other parts of the world. Um, uh, Chebe will tell you these just amazing stories of um, South um, Korean students who would read Things Fall Apart and send him letters and say, oh my God, I relate mm. to Things Fall Apart oh. so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's amazing. You know, it, it's, it's that Achebe can somehow share his mm -hmm. imagination of his world with people in other parts of the world. And they can be um, inspired by it. They can love it. I mean, I think that that is a mm. beautiful thing. But African literature is 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 important also because it's just really cool yeah. and fun mm. right yeah <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm stressing this because like you i came to african literature through mm -hmm. the classroom yeah okay i read other things outside the classroom i read treasure island based on recommendation from neighbors and siblings mm. but african literature is is a is a particular literary experience that I did not, that did not begin for me until I started school. And so for a long time, it was hard to not think it as just this stodgy, uninteresting instruction manual on how to, I don't know, live life. And it took me a while to develop a love for, for these stories and these poems and these ideas and to get to the point where they, they, are, they are very enjoyable you know i mean you read a novel by um lauren bukers in south africa the speculative fiction writer and i mean this is exciting amazing storytelling that keeps you up mm. at night you know you read um uh Ditch's beautiful um domestic fiction and it's exciting and fun and to me, the fact that stories generated about my world, about my life, can be fun and entertaining to, is, is, um, hmm. is something to hold on to. I was hoping we can talk about the article that I shared, um, which was written by Adobe Uwa, Uwa Buni, I believe that's her name. Um, yeah, so she wrote about African books being written for Western audience, and I guess my question for I w that I wanted us to talk about was: is is it possible for African literature, you know, whatever that means to each and every one of us in this space and time, if African literature can exist and thrive without the white slash Western gaze? Can I maybe ask 
a a um kind of a follow-up question oh yes um, yes question with that so i mean so how do we understand what the western gaze is in the sense that you know when we frame it like that like what does it mean to think of um to speak about a western gaze in relation to african literature this is ifa speaking for me something that has western gaze would be approval from western critics for example so if the new york times raves about it or if the new york times literature reviewer raves about it and says oh this is bloody bloody blah so western gaze is acceptance from from the uk the us because you know they they dominate worldwide culture and conversation yeah and i think this is a fail and just to add on to that i think it's not just acceptance i think when i think about white slash western gaze I, I think about one example would be when writing or even for example this podcast and I guess it also depends on what the goal is of whatever project it is. But for this podcast, I think we are aware that like people who are not Africans or people who are not Nigerian are listening. And so with that, I feel like we're there comes this component of always mm-hmm. explaining mm-hmm. why certain mm-hmm. things are being said or why certain, I don't know. So I guess with African literature, I, th- I think when thinking about the why slash Western gaze, it's, I think it includes... And I, we're a lot of times we'll be pointing towards the states because America is all things westernized. Um, but it's just like writing with that presence. So, and sometimes I feel like it can be suffocating. It's like always writing and thinking about that audience and and perspective in mm. mind and accommodating accommodating that outside yeah that outsider mm-hmm. perspective it's an interesting article i remember when it mm-hmm. came out um it caused a little bit of a controversy mm. um, people had all types of very passionate responses towards it um and i i do think that she raises a lot of um significant points yes. about the state of african mm-hmm publishing and I, I suppose for me when I read it back then I felt I think she was critiquing a certain kind of western posture towards African literary mm. production yeah um but then I mean at times it doesn't it, it doesn't it wasn't clear who exactly she mm. was critiquing mm. yeah is it the West for trying to control, trying to exert their power, their um, their control of the global publishing landscape yeah. on Africa, or is it a criticism of African publishing not being where mm-hmm. it needs to be? Yeah, right. It's, it's like who exactly? are we critiquing here for mm-hmm. this situation of mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are we critiquing writers for hustling and wanting to be published mm. in the West? Mm-hmm. Um, or are we critiquing the Western publishers for giving African writers um, a platform 
to publish their work, but also at the same time controlling mm. them in a sense? Mm. Or are we critiquing the not so good situation of the mm. publishing market mm. in Africa? So, so really, who who is the target of the critique? yeah right that was kind of always never really clear to me mm-hmm. yeah that's you bring up like a lot of great points and i think for me this is the thing when i was reading it for me i stepped away from the article just re-examining the state mm-hmm. of the publishing industry in on the continent because because if if um and this also goes back to like when we talked about western collaborators and lemonade and Warsan shire and um just if the state of our publishing industry is up and thriving and we are appreciating mm. our own, it's okay if the West can do whatever they want, right? Like, at the end of the day, we can't control yeah. what they do, right? But we can control how we mm-hmm. promote and support our own yeah. local creatives mm. and artists. So I think there's a, there's a problem when local publishers... Or traditional African publishers don't buy rights to books because they haven't been promoted mm-hmm. by the West. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that ties into a lot of things. Like, funds are tied, so obviously you can't... You have to limit... Yeah, so anyways, they have a strategy. But I think... So if we are publishing our own works and we're supporting our own artists, then it's... And maybe this is just my own take. The West can highlight whoever they highlight. But if we are promoting and supporting our own, then I think we're okay with whatever, you know, to mm-hmm. a certain extent, as long as you're not taking, over, <laughs> you know. Um, but, because, okay, so one example, just to cut it short, but I was also looking um, at the short, people shortlisted for mm-hmm. the Kane Prize, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one of the things, one of the um, the rules for submission is that you have mm-hmm. to be published, which oh, I mean, that's there's you know there's already that, and mm-hmm. I have a problem with that. So how are they supposed another, to discover? Yeah, well, so that's <laughs> another conversation for another day. But I think for me, I was looking at all the people shortlisted, and I mean there are only five people, so that's also already a small pool. But the people shortlisted, their works are either published mm. abroad or mm. in South Africa. So, you know, this goes back to, like, you know, publishing industry and, like, you know, what publishing houses are there. There, there are a few. I mean, I only know Farafina, but um, there are some Cassava that are Republic. Yeah, but, you know, for, I'm just saying, like, you know, the Kane Prize is really popular and a well... A, yeah, it's a popular prize, but I'm looking at the people shortlisted, and this is a prize towards African literature and African writing. Um, and... You know, one of the main rules is you have to be published. But these people, Tapa uh, Falari, you know, his work is published by Johns Hopkins. Uh, you know, another another Nigerian um, who's shortlisted. I think she's she's uh, published by some company in these in the states. And so it's you know, it just goes back to like, what are we doing on the ground to support? Um, Mm-hmm. African, yeah. But I know, like, one thing she did say in the article was, particularly in Nigeria, I think she was speaking from a Nigerian perspective, how, um, like, when you're trying to publish a book in Nigeria, and you're trying to, you know, spread it across, the like, you know, make it popular, whatever, promote it, that the success of your book or your story really depends on how many family members... 
and friends you can spread the word to <laughs> or you know how many how many people mm. come from your come for your lunch mm. and you know rave about your book on social media mm. or whatever and that just made like that's just really sad because it's like to, to an extent it's almost like okay whoever has the better connect mm-hmm. i don't know it, it doesn't really give it it doesn't really yeah, give a chance to people who and like who are who must be great amazing authors but don't really have that network that they can tap into to help promote their book exactly. so it just made me really like think about that and it's just mm-hmm. really sad yeah um yika over here and you know the question of you know are we doing things with the western gaze in mind or are publishing houses not um coming through i think for me goes much deeper than that right like what's the reading culture of our people to begin with like I mean, the average the average Nigerian child, like, what are they reading? You know, are their parents promoting them reading? You know, I just looked at the Wayak, because you know me, I'm all about academia, about the Wayak literature syllabus. And it's like mm-hmm. African prose, too. Non-African prose, too. It's like, why, why, why do we... Not saying that we shouldn't be reading William Shakespeare or whatever. Like, you do that in your spare time. But, like, why aren't we promoting more African books for our kids to be reading for Wayak or SSE, you know, and these are stories that are like not by newer um, writers or anything. So there was Purple Hibiscus, I think, from 2012 mm-hmm. to 2015, but now it's like more it's older stuff. So it's for me, the thing is, how do we create a culture where our kids are wanting to read? They're they're craving for African stories. They want to see themselves in these books that they're reading. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think I like what um, Onyeka is, is pointing to, right? Because it's it's a very um, multifaceted mm-hmm. problem, right? So it's about an actual publishing industry. It's about the publishing market. Hmm. It's about capital. It's also mm-hmm. about culture, right? But it's also about... Um, mm-hmm. Money is about economics. Mm. Binya Vanga um, once said that the money it will cost some Kenyans to buy his book mm. at about maybe $15 is what they make wow. in a week. Mm. Okay? So, I mean, in a world where books are not a, um, a affordable, mm. where people are struggling how do you build a publishing industry yeah. a publishing yeah. market there mm-hmm. like where do you even start yeah. right and so you now have a case where people invest in for example books that ask um that are tied to mm. exams and schools because you know that people yeah. will buy those books mm-hmm. right Publishers mm-hmm. can't take risks. They can't really invest yeah. their money as mm-hmm. freely as they can just because your story is 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 is, is highbrow and and literary is great does not mean that it's going to make mm-hmm. me money. At the end of the day, I'm a business. Yeah. I need yeah. money to mm-hmm. survive. Yeah, right. That so there are just all these different aspects of it, and I think that to go back to the um, piece. That's what I feel like is missing from the article. Yeah. Right. Is that she really, you know, I mean, she, she, she makes this, this point that everybody is 
thinking about, look, there's a way that contemporary African literary culture is mm -hmm. westward facing. Mm. Is this the West is the promised land of mm -hmm. the African writer, mm. right? You want to go there, you want to be there. We mm. get that, you know, but okay, you've said it. Now, <laughs> what, what, what can be done given the very difficult realities on ground? As Onyeka is pointing out, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's how do you get a vibrant publishing mm. market going? Yeah. And so because of that, because, I mean, you know, she's just like, and, and I, you know, there are some people who felt like she was just standing on this soapbox and mm. critiquing everybody yeah, and not realizing, you know, how small publishing companies in um, African cities mm -hmm. are struggling really hard yeah, and doing the best that they can. So I guess, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. What do you guys think? How do you build a literary market in a a place where people, many people, cannot afford to pay competitive prices for books? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Because talking about that, I'm not. <laughs> um, this is Ife. I'm not about to answer the question about. I'm about to add another layer to the question. Um, Adobe, the author we're talking about, actually wrote another article about you know the reading culture in Africa and how when you know when I was young, when I was in Unilag, because I I spent a, a two years in Unilag. On my way home, I'll stop by the guy that sells books, and mm -hmm. he sells books for really cheap. Mm -hmm. So you know, a hundred naira, two hundred naira books and they are mm. secondhand books brought from america from wherever shipped in containers yeah. and those books are more affordable than our african books because of how you know the the scale of production the mass mass scale of production and the fact that it's secondhand and it's brought back so there are so many things there's so many dynamics that affect the reading culture in africa you know in africa what mm. the truth of the matter is that those were the books that i was in closest proximity to in terms mm -hmm. of availability mm -hmm. and visual you know it's on my way it's on my way home mm -hmm. and they were the cheapest yeah. because they were second hand so yeah. it is yeah. it's it's definitely a multi multi-layered question yes mm -hmm. we have to we have to create a reading culture of reading african books but let's also think about what are the obstacles that we have to overcome for this to be a reality what are the advantages the other books have over our African books. Mm. There is a mobile reading app that a bunch of African authors are part of or have collaborated with. I know Nedi Okarafo mm -hmm. is a partner and um, the aim is, you know, books on mobile because I, I can't read, I don't know the stats, but, you know, a large number of people have mobile phones in Africa mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. and making... Yes making reading more accessible and i think technology might be the answer to that yeah and like to add or oh, a short story to add to what you just said so i'm reading a book on my kindle and i tweeted about it um recently and one of my my sister's friends messaged my sister to ask um if she could somehow get the book that i was reading and i was so confused because i was like i don't know how i can get this kindle book to this person and she goes 
oh yeah like if you can somehow make a pdf mm. version and mm. send it to me and i was just like this sounds very illegal <laughs> but uh, <laughs> i don't even know how to do this if, if i wanted to but yeah and, and, and this was a book written by an african mm. author who like i think mm. he recently published this book in um i forgot it's a, pop, it's a popular uh, western publisher um but it's so funny how the book is not available in Nigeria. Because she, she said that she has been looking for this book for so long. I even started feeling bad for her. Do you mind telling us what book oh, it sorry, is? Oh, sorry. This book, it's called Love is Power or something like that. Or something yes. like that. Okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Barrett, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a collection a of short book, stories. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. like, And she was saying how she had been searching for this book for so long and she hasn't found it here. And I was even thinking like, ah, which bookshops can I recommend? Because even me, I I don't even know any trusty bookshops here. Mm-hmm. I buy all my books on Kindle now, because I can't even start looking mm-hmm. for, you know, any reliable place. It's just like thinking about things like that. Like wow. people are willing to um, pay right. the full price for books. Everybody is like, okay, who has the PDF version? Who has, you know, mm-hmm. can I borrow this book from? Like, as much as you want to have a, you know, a, a proper structure and as much as we want to have things developed and established in Africa, mm-hmm. people are not willing to contribute yeah. to yeah. that. But it's nice having an op- having it as an option, you know. Right. You know, okay, so at times, though, I ask myself whether we are telling the right kind of story. Hmm. Okay. Say more. And, um, okay, so for instance, and this is not to to um, to downplay the hard work of independent publishers mm-hmm. in African spaces. Those guys are against a lot of mm-hmm. I mean huddles. Not to mention piracy, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I mean piracy is something that cripples you. It's, mm-hmm. it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. It cripples your business. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. Um, a friend of mine runs one of the top um, publishing companies in Nigeria, and he's like, look. I am, I, we, like, we just brought a book in and I am in traffic and I see this guy selling a bootleg version of the book. I mean, it's like, you see that and Mm -hmm. your heart fails, Mm -hmm. right? That's why in the sense that there are so many systemic hurdles for a publisher Mm -hmm in africa to go through okay i want to make it clear that i realize that right but i just want to say maybe kind of like just um expand the scope of the question a bit you know are we writing stories that africans are willing to pay their last speak on that money Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. We, we've heard of um, success stories like um, Fifty Shades mm. of Grey. Success right? stories. No, it's true. Where, where this woman published independently mm-hmm. and yeah. it took off because somehow, however awfully written <laughs> the book is, <laughs> however oh you gosh. can diss the book, mm-hmm. right? We've yeah. all read it. I'm hoping that we've mm. all read it here. No, I, I haven't. I refuse to. <laughs> oh, please do read it. <laughs> oh Joe. my gosh, no! <laughs> I haven't read it, but I've read reviews of it. One of my favorite um, blogs 
snark squad they so they they write a recap of every chapter and they snarkily you know they review it snarky and that's the only way i can i can take in that book definitely send us the link i bet you sure it is right it's it's badly written i mean i'm sorry it's 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 not a very good book right Mm -hmm. but but. whether it's badly written or not you can't Mm -hmm. tell me that 11 million readers were all right. wrong. Yeah. You can't tell me that <laughs> yeah. somehow they were hoodwinked mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, yeah. for some reason, E.L. James touched on a mm. nerve, hit something yeah. that people really loved and that they couldn't get yeah. enough of. Mm-hmm. So when are we going to have that African fiction that will write a mm. story that would so grip mm. us mm. that yeah. we will buy yeah. it. We'll go out in search mm. of it. We would mm. want it. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't think that story has yet been written. You don't think so? I, I don't know. Tell Ooh. me which story. <laughs> I mean, which, which novel has, yeah. which African novel do you think has truly gone viral in the sense that you've sold 30 million copies. No, no, actually, no, not even, let me, oh, sorry, I take that back. That you've sold, I don't know, 7 million copies or 5 million copies yeah. or, or hmm. 4 million copies. Hmm. Yeah. How the Yellow Sun was very yeah. successful, but but it, it, it still wasn't that type of story that just completely yeah. galvanized mm-hmm. a whole hmm. community mm. of readers. Really? I think, I think it, <laughs> no, I was just going to slightly disagree with that. I think. Go on, go on. No, I, I think, I just want to say like Chimamanda's books. I think they have, if if I could pick one author, or you know, if even if I could pick one book that I think has taken off completely and gripped the hearts and souls of Nigerians, I would say it's one of Chimamanda's books, but. I don't know how many she has sold so far. I don't know if like you're excluding Western markets. Um, Word. But... Because what I was going to say, Amaya, actually, is that Americana, oof, the impact it's had on Americans, I just, I don't, they've been, they've, I feel like they would do the, at the mention of her name, they would just at the mention of her name. <laughs> like, it's wow. gotten to that point. But like you said, I just don't know, like, the impact it has, like, had on, like, mm-hmm. the Nigerian mm-hmm. market. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. But and so that's a good point. Let's compare. Right. So, so I mean, and I think that you're right. That there's a way that Chimamanda, her writing, mm-hmm. what she represents, her politics, honestly, is is like a truly global mm-hmm. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I completely yeah. agree with that. Right. But I think I'm thinking more of this in kind of a, a grassroots yeah. type level. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like Nollywood, yeah. for mm-hmm. instance. You know, it's like just this thing that, that I mean, that look, you don't have to go to some fancy bookshop yeah. to connect yeah. with this idea yeah. or yeah. story. It's yeah. there. Mm. The Getman in mm. your house is consuming <laughs> this narrative. Yeah. Yeah. The market yeah. woman is consuming this mm-hmm. narrative. Everybody, mm-hmm. like this, this is a truly viral phenomenon because it's penetrated into all the different layers of society. Right. But yeah, can I can yeah. I bring up another issue? I feel like another like something one issue that's hindering, um, you know, this outburst or you know, of 
particular of Nigerian books going viral is literacy yes, level. Yes, I was just I mean, anybody can that. watch a Nigerian mm-hmm. movie, right. but for people mm. to pick up a book and actually read from cover yeah. to cover, I just I mean they have to know how with to the read. number of people who can barely exactly they need to know how mm-hmm. to read. So I think that's um, another issue on its own entirely. Like it's a fundamental issue that needs to be attacked on a okay. different. Yes, but Unless, I'm, just I'm going to play the devil's advocate. Ooh, okay. get a girl. Unless I'm going to tell <laughs> you, do, do you know how many visits Linda Ikeji oh. has? Yeah, okay. okay. So, Nigerians <laughs> Yeah, Nigerians are reading, and Linda Ikeji is proof of that fact. But Linda, also, okay, mm. I, I get that. That's uh, my, my counter arguments would be Linda Ikeji is free, it's online. And I mean, if you could publish all these Nigerian books online, you know, as I said, like, all my friends asking for PDF books. I don't think, you know, but the, I really don't think the like, reading would be. An but issue. the market woman isn't reading Linda Ikeji, right? And exactly. then if we're thinking about, I mean, it, maybe right. she is on her phone. So you never know. <laughs> you're right. You never know. <laughs> it's true. You're, now. you're it's right. True. I mean, yeah. for me, I think, yeah. of course, there's always the government's, you know, help that would definitely be be nice. Mm. Um, I grew up in, I went to primary school where we had like a read a book a week type thing. So everyone would go to the library and you had to get a book and read it and be done in a week and take it back. So if, say for example, in our government schools as well, everyone is encouraged, hey, do a read a, read a book a week challenge, right? To start our kids off just reading. I mean, you get a grade for it, if anything, because clearly that's what everybody thrives off of, is getting grades, right? You get a grade for reading a book a week. That way we're causing our kids to want to read, to want to learn, to want to hear a different story. Um, as far as the literacy level in Nigeria, I'm with Amayo. Like, it's it's hard. It's it's like, do you guys watch these Pulse TV videos where they ask them common questions and they can't even... Hey. I don't want... Oh at God. least, let's not talk about that. It's make me uh. really mad. Because, <laughs> because I... This is a thing, because I hate those videos because I just wonder, like, what their <laughs> aim is. It's, and I think a lot of it's just yeah. making mockery of these people and it's not really mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. any anything. But anyways, this is a thing, and I just... <laughs> want to thank you ladies so much for your opinions <laughs> and i just want to tell our listeners that this is a conversation yeah. we should keep on having it's such an important conversation and it would be great if we can start an mm-hmm. online conversation about this moving on i was just hoping we could all go around just to wrap up this episode and talk about whatever we're reading we're watching we're listening to that we just want our listeners to know about oh this is amaya i already mentioned um the book that I'm currently reading. Um, so mm-hmm. it's called Love is Power or something like that by Igoni Barrett. It's a collection of short stories. Um, and so far, well, I have, sorry, I must have gone a little. <laughs> sorry, guys, <laughs> I know we're, we're trying to cut this short. But yeah, I have an issue with short stories because just when they are about to get real juicy and something is about to happen, you know, they end. And it's just like, really like come on now just one more chapter but i mean so far so good i think it's it's a great collection and i like his i like his character choice and how he um first of all how he names his his characters because they have very unique names um but yeah i think it's a great collection so far 
Um, Yeka O over here, and I am delving into the world of Ken Saruiwa, who just has my heart right now. Um, So I'm about to start reading (laughs) Soza Boy, which is a novel in rotten English. So I'm really, really excited. Um, For me, he's one of those people who I think epitomizes how you can use a gift or a talent that you have um, to raise up awareness about what's happening around you. So um, being an activist through, you know, your writing. And so I'm really, really excited to delve some more into some Kenta Uwa. Nice. How about you, Ainehi? What are you reading or watching or listening to? Um, These days, I... I have been reading um, the collection of novels that just came out of um, Cassava Republic Press. Mm. So they have a whole suit of novels that they are promoting right now. And um, yeah. I don't know, you may know they've moved from from Nigeria to London. Hmm. Wow. No, that's where wow, I didn't know yeah, that. they're now based. And they're just, there's been this whole really big campaign around a set of novels that they released recently mm. El Natans and Born on a Tuesday um Sarah mm. Manika's um, novel and um Hawa Jande Golakai I think that's how you pronounce her name don't quote <laughs> um, she's a Sierra Leonean crime writer mm. and then another crime writer his name is Leye Adenle and the novel is titled Easy Motion Tourist and I've read Manika's novel and um, the Easy Motion Tourist novel, and they are absolutely gorgeous and amazing. Mm. Um, Easy Motion Tourist is a crime fiction about a parachute journalist who gets to Lagos, and the night he's there, things go really wrong when a girl is like killed in what looks like a ritual oh, murder. Uh-oh. I need and it's to not, read this. It, I'm telling you, like you have to. It, it's this uh, crazy wow. tumbling down the rabbit hole of like Nigeria on the ground crime scene, hmm. and the end hmm. is is just would blow your mind. There's this moment in the novel where there's like this inter neighborhood shootout. Oh, like wow. it's, 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 I read it sitting down in a couch. I didn't stand up once. <laughs> <laughs> and I finished it. It's really beautiful. Wow. Um, and ser- so, wait, what's the name of this collection of short stories? It's not short stories. It's a, no- a a novella type thing. It's kind of small okay. and petite. Okay. Um, and the other novel from this from the, their collection I liked is Sarah Manika's novel. The title is it's long. It's like um like a mule bringing ice cream to something. Hmm. And it is. A very Mrs. Dalloway-ish type of character, but she mm. is a Nigerian woman in San Francisco. She's older Ooh, now. I've heard about that. Yeah. Is that is it's published by um, either Farafina or Cassava? Cassava Republic. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's just her reminiscing about her life. And it's it's really a very racy life, you know, kind of the the sexual escapades she's had. She's mm. a professor 
and it's 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 super literary it's like she's just drawing references from all these novels from all over the place it's a really well-paced nice tasteful read it's called like a meal bringing ice cream to the sun mm. it's okay. a gorgeous gorgeous okay. gorgeous very also short novel and perhaps something interesting you should know about sarah is that um she gave Cassava Republic, the world rights to her novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read about that. Unique. Many people in her level would, would, would have Random House, for instance, publish their novel, and then Cassava Republic mm-hmm. would then buy the rights uh, from uh, Random yeah. House, right? Mm-hmm. And that yeah. has been the practice. You publish your stuff in the West, and then African publishers would then buy the rights. To publish yeah, it, yeah. and Owan Bani actually talks about that in her essay. Mm-hmm. But what she did this time yeah. is suggested: look, Cassava Republic, you take the right, the world rights to my book. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. then means that if Random House wants to republish her work in the US, they have to they buy, have to buy nice. it. From revolutionary which is is really amazing right and that's the type of thing that we probably need more people to do yes and um and she said that the reason behind this is really because um cassava republic has treated her really well have pushed her books have known how to sell her books that she realizes that look i mean these guys are ready to work for you and get your work out there why not you know, bet on them. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, thank you for those recommendations. Ife, is there anything you're reading that you want to plug or watching or listening? Oh, okay, to? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I just watched the Nina Simone documentary. So, not that nonsense biopic <laughs> oh, nice. that that white woman was pushing. But the authorized one, What Happened, Miss Simone, hmm. on on Netflix. Yeah. It is so good. It is so, so good. Oh, my goodness. And it is... Mm. Oof, all of the feels. So, I highly, highly, highly yeah. recommend. It is a very... It's well thought out. It's well, it details her struggles. He, you know, it paints her as a whole human being. She's not, she's not unnecessarily vilified. She's not canonized. She mm. is a person and her struggle with mental, mental illness and all of that is in there. And it's so good. You need, I, I, I've been listening to mm. Nina Simone. I'm like, this woman is a genius. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, like she trained to be a classical yeah. pianist and the school that she was trying to get into rejected her of course because she was black mm. so then to make money mm-hmm. she started like singing at jazz clubs and that's how her career took off anyway she is phenomenal you should watch it mm. if you if you have the chance then i also watching unreal which is a tv show so i'm obsessed oh, with tv i watch too much tv for my own good but unreal is wonderful <laughs> it is dark comedy it's a snarky and it is a it's a biting look into how reality tv is produced Hmm. 
to how mm. you know the reality reality tv you watch is not actual reality it is producers right. and people behind the scenes manipulating the people on camera mm. to do certain things to achieve a certain result so it was created by this woman who used to work as a producer on the bachelor and mm. unreal is a tv show about the making of a reality tv show so it's really good and I think I think it's on Hulu in America and it's on Amazon Prime in the UK. So check it out. Okay. Nice. Um, I think what we've learned so far in this episode is that Ife loves all yep. things snarky. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a good snark. Uh, <laughs> um, this is the Fema, and I'm currently trying to get through the stories shortlisted for the Kane Prize. Nice. Um, and I, you know, I'm still, I'm reading Abdul Adan's The Life Bloom Gift. Um, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I'm trying to push myself to get through it. Um, but I'm looking forward to reading Tape um, Fallerine's um, Genesis. story Genesis because it's generated quite some controversy mm. and so I'm like eager to get to that is to Topa that Falari a, um, sorry sorry to interrupt is she on Twitter is she, like, um, he oh he okay think, never mind <laughs> he's, yeah, a, it's a he. um, he's on Twitter okay yeah, yeah. I, there's another Topa Falari that I follow okay Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's a he, um, and he won the Kane Prize in 2013. So there's also that. And anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Thank you, ladies, so much for this amazing conversation. I know we had to cut it short just because we were running long. As I said in the beginning, we're all opinionated <laughs> women. So I knew, <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Um, well, yeah, thank you so much, Ainahi, mm-hmm. for joining us. You're so awesome. Thank you. Offline and online. Thank it's you. So this great. was so much fun. You girls rock, oh. honestly. Oh, you rock. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Idea. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks to you for having me, okay? And um, all the best with everything. Thank you. Um, thank you. You guys sound yeah. like high flyers doing all this, you know, really cool things <laughs> in your life. Um, good luck. Yeah. And keep in thank touch, you. Yes. We will, we will. Yes, yes. Well, stick around. Um, but thank you to all our listeners for listening to this episode. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, and you can find this podcast wherever you get your other podcasts. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, we have a survey that's oh, yeah. in the description box, or will be in the description box of this episode. Please, please, please fill it out. We are, and this is our last episode of the season, and we're planning our second season, and we need all the feedback we can That's get. Right. We want to make this bigger and better, and we can only do that mm-hmm. with your help. So please, please, please fill out the survey. We'll put a little prize of, we haven't figured out what the prize is yet, but there'll be a raffle to win something awesome. Yeah. So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> You should fill it out. This is news to me. But anyways, (laughs) yes. So you guys stay tuned and follow us on Facebook and Twitter to find out when season two will um, start. But yes, we appreciate your feedback. And for those of you that have been with us since our day one, we we love you guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.